I even ended up in Australian Tinder. Some guy was using all my photos, even my personal Facebook photos. And Damn. this woman was like sending me messages. It was ridiculous. That's <laughs> wild. So that... Three, two, one. Welcome to Learn Videography, a podcast dedicated to mastering the art and business of becoming a full-time videographer. Presented by Industry Jump. Hosted by director Kyle Loftus and producer JJ England. Let's go. Welcome back to Learn Videography, your podcast to learn everything you need to know about becoming a full-time videographer. As always, I'm your host, JJ Engler, and my co-host, Kyle Loftus. And today we have a very, Yo. very, very special guest, Marius, co-CEO of ShareGrid, the one and only Marius. Thank you for so much for joining us today. How are you? Good, good. Thank you, JJ. Thank you, Kyle. Really appreciate you guys having me on. Yeah, man, we are so excited Stoked. to hear uh, your story of why you might have gotten started with ShareGrid or that original idea that kind of sparked, what was it, four years, five years in the business? Yeah, definitely. I mean, the idea started kind of even earlier than that, but we launched uh, early 2015. January 2015 is when the community officially went live. And then you just exited or sold the company seven years ago, you know, what, a month ago? Seven years later, a month ago. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So essentially, we were acquired by Backstage uh, end of 2021, December uh, towards yeah end of December. So um, yeah, we joined the Backstage family. They, so cool. They've uh, acquired several companies over the last uh, year or so. So we're super stoked to join like this, you know, big group of of really creative tools that I think is going to make the it's going to change the creative landscape and help individual creators just do a lot more with really a lot less and that's kind of been the overall theme that we've been trying to hit at ShareGrid since day one yeah yeah i i want to get into all that and more on this episode so why don't we first get started learning a little bit more about your story and then we'll kind of segue into talking about uh the creative economy and what we expect for the future of creators maybe trends that you've seen at ShareGrid that you can give insight to our creators of how they can position themselves going forward for success. So guys, this is going to be a jam-packed episode. So excited to have you all with us. Uh, so Marius, back to you. How did the idea of ShareGrid come about? Because it's a fantastic idea. I don't know why no one did it before you guys. Like, How did this all come together? Yeah, no, um, it's, you know, it, the idea essentially came from personal kind of need, <laughs> as, as many ideas typically usually come out of, right? Uh, so I, I originally went to film school and uh, and then my, you know, went to film school, moved to New York, kind of transitioned out of the film world into the tech world, became kind of a UX UI designer for, for Groupon. Uh, so moved from New York all the way to Silicon Valley across the country, was working at Groupon designing their mobile app. And uh, alongside me, the, the other designer, there was just two mobile designers at the time for the Groupon app. We were super early on was my now co-founder Arash, uh, Arash Shiva. And uh, he had, he actually had a background in photography. So he was a long time uh, photography kind of hobbyist would always buy new gear and, and travel and do a lot of photography. And I had this background in film. So I had a lot of friends, uh, you, you know, that graduated with, uh, with me from film school that would typically buy a lot of equipment with the hope that, hey, if I buy this equipment, moment I graduate or I enter kind of the workforce, uh, I'm going to get a lot more jobs. 
that was kind of the the idea, yeah. the, the aspiration. That didn't always especially the out. red camera, right? Exactly. Like everybody thought, like if <laughs> I get that red camera, I'm gonna be, you know, that's it. Yeah. Like I just sit back. Oh, I'm and set. But yeah, I'm good. Yeah. <laughs> so people would just really yeah. stretch out their budgets, and and I saw this firsthand. You know, I was more more on the post production side of things, so I didn't <laughs> stretch mm-hmm. my budget to, to get a lot of equipment, but. A lot of the camera operator friends I had and DPs, they would really go out to get that newest camera, the lenses, the lighting, and they just felt like the more they could accumulate as far as the gear, um, you know, they they could get more jobs. And part of it was they wanted to, you know, have the the gear available so they could work on side projects, but they kind of just always justified it, at least what it seemed to me, always justified it like, oh, I'll get the jobs, like this will bring in more work. And you, the reality mm-hmm. is that that doesn't always pan out, but the most reoccurring thing that did pan out was the monthly bills they would get, right? Uh, once you get mm-hmm. that expensive camera, those credit card yep. bills are always on time. <laughs> they never miss. Uh, so never miss. <laughs> seeing that uh, kind of gave me the, you know, uh, the idea of like, how can we, how, how can people uh, get a little bit you know, get a return on investment on that, on, on the gear. And my co-founder, Arash, was kind of going through a similar dilemma at the time. We would take these daily walks while we we're uh, in California. It's really nice, really nice area. So we would take daily walks and just yeah. talk about ideas and stuff. And he was going through a similar problem when he had uh, the set of lenses that he really liked, but there was a new set, like new lens coming out. And he was he had to make the decision of like, should I sell my old set of lenses to buy this new lens? Mm-hmm. And we mm-hmm. came up with yeah. the idea of like, what if we know that story? There was like an Airbnb yeah. where you could rent out that set of lenses and it can kind of help you mm-hmm. out to buy uh, a new set of lenses. So that's initially how the idea came out of is just personal experiences and like kind of needs in the moment. Yeah. Talk to us about how you might have validated that idea, right? Like you had this idea, you and your co-founder were like, yeah, let's, let's do this. How did you go out and validate that idea? Yeah. So we're, you know, we're not the type of person that would just jump out, quit our jobs day one and just say like, let's just try it. So we definitely wanted to, to see like, is there anyone else that's having this issue with anybody else? Would, would they use a website like this? So essentially what we did was spend like a weekend just designing a one page website and uh, used a, mm-hmm. a company called Webflow at the, at the time. This was like 2014, mm-hmm. really early and built mm-hmm. this website using no code. Like none of, both of us are not really coders, so we didn't know how to code, but we used this no code tool to build just a one page website. And on that one page, yep. we essentially pitch the the idea like the promise obviously we had nothing in stone or nothing built but we were like hey sign up you'll make thousands of dollars every month renting out your gear you'll be fully insured uh you know amazing. oh damn just everything <laughs> just the whole promise right uh it yeah. had some like nice uh visual elements of people trading equipment and so we, we, we built that landing page and then we just put some Facebook ads and I think we put like a hundred or 200 bucks just to see if anybody would sign up. And within two weeks, we had 3000 yeah. signups and, uh, oh and my God. Uh, people were like, this. so it wasn't even the signups. It was people were emailing us saying, Hey, 
here's my list of equipment. Here's a uh, Excel sheet full of the equipment I want to list. How can I get in? Like, this is awesome. Please let me know. And we would just kept getting those emails over and over again. And those individual emails is what got us to like really pursue the idea. Uh, And that's actually how we found our third co-founder as well, Brent Barbano. So Brent was actually in LA working on a documentary about the sharing economy, about Airbnb and car to go and all these like other platforms. He was doing a documentary and he was kind of shooting this documentary, had the same idea. <coughs> wow, this would be awesome if there was a, was a platform where we could do this with cameras and lenses. But he was like, I don't, you know, he, he's from the film industry. He didn't have a lot of tech background. Yeah. So he, he kind of put that on the back burner, didn't think about it, and then saw our landing page. And at first he told us he was a little bit discouraged. He was like, oh, man, somebody already did it. Like these guys are in San Francisco. Yeah. They're probably already like figured it out. It's probably already done. So he didn't email us right away, but then like it just kept bugging him. And then like a week or two later, he sent us an email and was just like, Hey, if you guys need any help, let me know. Like I'd be happy to help. I'd love the idea. And on the other side, we were like, we had nothing. Like we didn't build anything but that page. So we're like, yeah, sure. Come and help yeah. us. Like we need more help. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Yeah. Like everybody thought it was completely done, but like, honestly, it was just a landing page trying to sell the idea. And that's how we got started. And that really helped us obviously to get that third co-founder with the industry experience, which obviously helped a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then it also helped us in the next steps, like just attracting more advisors, attracting engineers down, down the line, you know, being able to show that there was interest in this idea rather than just having an idea there was actually there should there was something mm-hmm. behind it right there was that community support so yeah that, that's how the yeah. initial idea got started what's up guys during this brief break i just want to remind you of our season-long sponsor riverside the number one podcast recording platform we absolutely love it we've been using it even before we use zoom or any other platform um it's just absolutely incredible um for us we absolutely love using it because of the high quality video and audio recording that we're able to do for you our listeners not only that but you know we can edit and we can chat in time you know while we're recording this podcast the files come easily downloadable after recording um and you know Today, Riverside is used by over 70,000 different creators ranging all over the place from Guy Raz to Gary Vee to Learn Videography, the number one podcast when it comes to videography. Um, Guys, there's a reason so many people and so many creators are using Riverside. Check them out. All of their features that they have are at riverside.fm. You can create an account. Go ahead, check them out and get started today. Now let's get back to the episode. That's incredible. I just, I love the fact that, you know, some founders, uh, they're like, they're afraid to put their idea out there. It's like, oh, someone's going to steal my idea. I'm not going to mm, do it until right. like I'm ready to launch, which is like two, 12 months later, you just spent so much money and time on this and you're launching and people are finding out about it for the first time. Right. But like, on the contrary, you guys are like, we have an idea. Let's validate it. Let's get it out there. Let's see what the public thinks. And just instantly, you know, it caught on. And it's like that. I, I personally, I love that, you know, like, I think more creators need to be just not afraid to get out there and say, guys, I want to do this. What do you think? Let's make this happen kind of thing. Yeah, my, my philosophy on that whole thing. And I think it applies not to just 
tech startups, but it applies to really any creative endeavor, films, music, movies, photos, whatever, yeah. is that if you have an idea, let's say that like right now, I gave you all an idea, just a topic. And I said, write a screenplay around this topic. Every single one of our yeah. drafts of that screenplay will be completely different. And even if I told you, mm-hmm. hey, we have a startup idea and I gave it to all everyone on this chat right now, every single one of you would execute differently because our execution is a reflection of our knowledge, our previous experiences. It's never going to be exactly the same. And an idea at the end of the day is just an idea. It's how you execute it and actually, you know, operate. When you're starting a company, you're making hundreds of decisions per day. And then imagine that compounding Mm -hmm. every day for years and every single micro decision could like, you know, change the direction of the company. It's it's like uh, I heard I recently heard this uh, saying that if you were to take an airplane and change its trajectory just by three percent and that plane was to fly from New York to L.A., it would end up in a whole different country. Like just a minuscule kind of a direction yeah. change would completely change the trajectory. And it's the same wow. thing in business. It's it's the micro decisions you make per day that just mm-hmm. accumulate and compound and have a whole different direction. So I yeah, I urge everybody, whatever idea you have, get it out there. And it's better to get help because you know, starting anything, either a creative project or a business, is incredibly hard and you really need everybody you need a lot of support not from not just you but like everybody else so it's good to get your idea out there yeah get validation get people to support you yeah 100 um, percent. but yeah so the, yeah it, oh, i would but, love to kind of go ahead well go ahead go ahead I, no I, please yeah yeah i was just gonna add to the, to this whole story because you know the other part of this be, besides getting that community help and that initial kind of support was really um, going in and jumping in and being naive because we honestly, when we jumped into this, the one point I, I can point out is that we on that landing page just said everything we plan on doing, but none, none of it was really figured out. And one of the biggest pieces was actually insurance. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so insurance was kind mm-hmm. of the, our naive take on it was like, oh, we'll just, find an insurance company to just have an umbrella policy that would just cover everybody (laughs) and Mm -hmm. quickly found out that was not the case. Uh, And uh, essentially we figured out how difficult and complex insurance and coverage is in the production world. Uh, So Mm -hmm. we initially built the product actually almost fully. Like we built the entire marketplace Every feature that you pretty much see on the website was is almost built within six months. We we hired an, a, a wow. team outside, like a, a developer outside the country. We managed that person. We designed everything. And we got to the point where we're like, okay, well, now we need insurance. Like, how are we going to deal with this insurance? And we completely got mm-hmm. stuck at that, at that point. And we had to make a critical decision of like, do we launch this marketplace without insurance? And just kind of leave it up to, mm-hmm. you know, the, the renter and the equipment owner to figure it out and make it very clear that we don't have insurance. Or do we try to figure out the mm-hmm. insurance piece? We ended up deciding that we were going to delay our launch by another, you know, however long it took until we figured out the insurance piece. And we started. Did you get any feedback from like 
customers or anybody that like gave you that insight to delay it? Or is it just like a, a feeling that you had? No, that was, that was literally the second question everybody would ask us. First, well, not even the second question. It would be the second point. First point was, this is an awesome idea. And then the second point is like, how's that insurance piece work? <laughs> and we got tired <laughs> of like not fully being able to explain it. They were like, oh, that, that's yeah. going to be a problem. <laughs> like, we really need to understand yeah. that insurance side of things. Uh, so it was definitely yeah. community kind of driven. And it was like something the community made it very clear that we needed to figure out if, if anybody was going to trust us. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. So, which was great. That's kind of what I was hoping to see. Like, was it a hunch and were you going to delay everything? Or was it, you know, customers saying, hey, we kind of really need this kind of thing, right? Yeah. Um, and so um, let's continue with the insurance bit because I know that this was really challenging for you. So um, how, how did you end up making it work? Yeah, so we essentially just started reaching out to like insurance companies. So we would just go to the website, try to find a phone number and and just call brokers and the brokers would be like, uh, I'm not. No, we don't do any kind of insurance like that. Because the way we were explaining is like, <laughs> hey, we have a website where, you know, someone could rent out their camera, uh, you know, from a garage or meet at Starbucks to another person. And can you guys insure that transaction? And they're like, we don't have a program for that. Like, is it is the main yeah. Yeah. common answer? Like, then. It's it's a you know, it's one individual handing over potentially fifty thousand dollar lens that could fit in someone's like backpack to another stranger, and then hopefully that stranger you know comes back with the equipment. So it's a fairly risky type of uh, transaction. The, there's not many other industries where right, you right. could you know to like cars are fairly expensive, but even cars, most cars are like ten twenty thousand dollars. Now you have a fifty thousand dollar twenty thousand dollar lens that you could fit in a backpack so that's like, fragile it's that's fragile yeah. that can just be dropped at any point right so i don't blame yeah. the insurance companies for like not jumping at the opportunity but essentially yeah we called a bunch of insurance companies and we would email them and most of them the majority of them said yeah we don't have a program for that uh and some of them there was one funny story where we emailed the insurance company and they thought they were replying back to their colleague and they said some really <laughs> like called us some really like bad names and like we're making fun of us <laughs> but it actually came back to us <laughs> instead <laughs> so that's when we realized how like naive we were like people were literally laughing at us when it came to insurance and uh thankfully you know uh, i think brent was able to get in touch with athos insurance which Athos Insurance is an insurance yes. broker in Los Angeles. Uh, and they specifically focus on production equipment. And they were actually just starting off. So they were a fairly young company at the mm -hmm. time as well. And, uh, you know, yeah. Kat and Eileen, who, who run the company there, were super, like, forward-looking and, and, and really understood, you know, the, the business because they, they've been in the business for a long time. But then were, you know open open to the idea open to trying something new so so we met with them we explained what we were trying to do and they were not dismissive right away they were like open to the idea of of learning more which is yeah. all it took because once we were able to get in a room with them we really like 
pitch the idea and show them what it could be, the potential. And we built a, a partnership with them. We built an exclusive partnership with them. But they essentially said, like, look, we, you know, we run our business, but we don't have like we don't have any technology that would be able to connect to your website. You guys are going to have to rebuild right. everything. Uh, and our, you know, they said, well, you could send people to our website and then, you know, we'll send them back to you later. But, you know, coming from a user experience standpoint for us, like we wanted to have a really flawless checkout experience. Like in our head, the way it should work is that you go to checkout, you choose your insurance and you check out like that's it. You never leave the website. You you it's super easy. And we were relentlessly like, we're not going to sacrifice on that. It needs to be super easy. Um, So then they were like, if that's how you all wanted you will have to essentially rebuild our insurance like application into your website. And we're like, uh, <laughs> if that's what it takes, we'll do it. And obviously we spent like months learning about each question, each application question, what it means, why it matters, yeah. and just rebuilding that whole system to make sure that we could, could do that integration. And uh, yeah, it took a long time, but uh, we're certainly happy that we did it because we we ended up with the product we wanted, which is at checkout, people can now purchase instantly insurance up to $750,000 worth of coverage within like as long yeah. as it takes you to fill out the form, which is like less than a minute, and then actually check out within that same time, which in the past, if you didn't have insurance, you'd literally most of the time had to call a broker you know, sit on the phone with yeah. nine to five it's a process, uh, so you know, get paperwork, yeah. get certificates of insurance, send that certificate of insurance to all the rental houses. I mean, we, we, we had to, we, we did this as practice, uh, uh, actually. Uh, and I don't want to jump around here, but like before we even, um, figured out this whole application thing, we wanted to understand what it actually took to, to do this. So we would call insurance product, insurance companies and act like we had a project to try to understand the process. And then uh, in some mm-hmm. cases, like, you know, with we were like kind of documenting that process and then showing it to investors so we could teach investors how difficult that process was. Right. Um, because yeah. they didn't know either. So when we went out, so it was a yeah. big learning process. We were able to get that whole system integrated and get that instant insurance, get that exclusive partnership. And once we launched, we were essentially the first ever peer-to-peer marketplace with insurance built into checkout where you could get instant insurance up to 750K. And the community and the press responded with overwhelming kind of positive response. They trusted us. They were like, literally every press article about our launch was, oh, it's online rentals but with insurance, like insurance was always either in in the headline or the first sentence there, like built in insurance with an actual insurance company. And that built the trust. Like people were like, okay, I feel more confident putting up a hundred thousand dollars worth of equipment on this website because I know I'm going to get a certificate of insurance for every single rental in my name. Uh, Mm -hmm. So yeah, yeah, that, at one point, honestly, we thought we were going to shut down the company because we couldn't find that insurance partner. And because we were able to find that and like go forward is is essentially what what helped us keep going. 
It's funny That's because awesome. I, I've spoken with the ladies at Athos and they told me the story about you coming to them as well. So hearing it from their perspective, they're just like this crazy guy, like they, they wanted to do this, but they were willing to build it all. So we're like, why not? Like, let's go with it. Right. Uh, but it kind of goes to show like it is a crazy idea and it, it is really hard. Um, but that was also like the essential thing that kind of brought everything together. That was the glue. Right. And so it's just a problem that you needed to solve. You stuck to your guns. The community said they want it and, and you delivered and, and you know, that's it. And I'll say though, you know, yeah. it, it might seem like from the kind of the summary of the story, some people might take it as like, Oh, we should always like stick to our guns and do the right thing and not skip corners. I will say though, we did skip corners in other parts of the, in, uh, of the process. So for example, our website uh, was actually built on top. So we used uh, an off-the-shelf peer-to-peer Airbnb clone. <laughs> so there's an MIT okay. free yeah. license uh, code base uh, that was provided by a company called Share Tribe. We didn't steal their name, by the way. We didn't. Yeah. We came up with Share Group before that. <laughs> but there's this <laughs> code base called Share Tribe. It, it was open source, so we took their code, which already had the majority of uh, kind of peer-to-peer features you would need. So it had the messaging, it had the profiles, it had Mm -hmm. the search, it had the listings. So in that sense, we were like kind of cutting corners a bit, but we said, look, this is good Mm -hmm. enough. And we had to make a decision because when you're such a small team, you can't do it all. Otherwise, you're kind of stuck stuck behind, you know, you're not releasing anything for like, years and then by that time it's too late so we had to make a decision what is worth our time to spend extra effort on and then we decided based on the community's kind of feedback that insurance was like the primary concern and that was something that we couldn't get off the shelf and we had to build on our own so we decided to focus our our uh, focus and, and resources on that versus the things that we could easily get off the shelf yes it wasn't perfect but we were like, it's not perfect, but we'll have really good customer service and we'll jump on the phone whenever somebody needs help. And that's kind of how we balance that, that trade of resources. Yeah. Well, but what I really love, you know, is just how much I feel like you've, you've emphasized the fact that you guys really put the customer first, right? And really kind of have, it, have intention and insight with everything you do. And so with that in mind, you know, now ShareGrid being around for as long as it has, like, what are some of the biggest, like, insights you've learned, um, you know, from kind of operating and overseeing ShareGrid? And, and, like, what do you see with, like, the future and everything? Yeah, I mean, throughout the whole journey of ShareGrid, honestly, the whole theme of what we've been focusing on has essentially remained the same, which is we need to take care of the community. And make sure the community is safe. Otherwise, you know, mm-hmm. things could go horribly wrong. So, you know, a lot of people think of us as a rental company, but we honestly are much more of a security, fraud detection, coverage, kind of making sure everybody's safe. So, like, throughout the, mm-hmm. the whole journey, we've obviously developed a website. We've redesigned the search experience. We've redesigned a lot of parts of the website. Mm-hmm. But the majority of the work has continued to go on the backend tools to help keep the community safe. That essentially our goal Mm -hmm. throughout the journey was we're going to build tools for equipment owners to essentially build a small business for themselves and said, 
okay, there's all these individuals that have all this equipment, but they don't have the team, the resources, they don't have an accountant, they don't have an insurance person that's going to verify all their insurance policies. They don't have like uh, people that are going to take credit cards and do all the merchant stuff. So we will be essentially the Shopify. We will be that tool set for anyone that wants to run a side business to rent out their equipment. So once we knew that was the goal, we built various tools for these equipment owners to make it really easy for them to actually uh, market and do these transactions and, and run a small business and earn that extra money. Our goal the whole time was we know what it's like to be a in, indie filmmaker or someone just coming out of school. And you kind of, when you're coming out of school, you, you have a few options. It's like, you need to make enough money to pay rent and, and put food on the table. But then you have some decisions. Like, right, do you right. focus on your craft or do you go like drive for Uber? So it's like, instead of driving for Uber mm-hmm. or delivering for DoorDash, like maybe you can make a few hundred dollars a month renting out your gear and like meeting people from the industry when, when you're In the renting process. out that gear. Yeah. So that was our goal is like, how do we empower yeah. the independent filmmaker, the independent photographer and provide them the tools to have safe, really, really good transactions. So that remained the goal the entire time. Um, now, as far as like, if you're asking me insights, like, insights, like, go ahead. Yeah. In, insights into like, you know, what are some trends that you saw emerging in the sense that, um, you know, maybe a, a certain type of camera and, or, um, you know, a certain like line of cameras were being more popular to rent out or these certain types of creators or people were making more money or, you know, any kind of juicy insights you can share with us. Yeah, for sure. So we actually have a website called insights.sharegrid.com. <laughs> so anyone could Whoa, go there. There it is. And uh, <laughs> it's actually a real-time uh, feed, uh, real-time leaderboard of equipment that's being rented or sold uh, and actually the search terms that people are searching on ShareGrid. So we share all of that data oh, with, awesome. with our and, – and that's actually built in Webflow, JJ. Uh, so, uh, yeah. uh, another, like, I won't hold it against you. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> so th- that's a little bit of a, um, just a metrics website to, to help people understand like what's renting out. So, so we break it down into what's making the most money. So that first, if you guys were to mm-hmm. go to insights.share.com, there's a section called top earning products, right? And you could go by year or in the last 30 days. And that will show you the cameras that are earning equipment owners the most money. And you'll see things like the Sony mm-hmm. A7S III, the Red Komodo 6K, the Dana Dolly, and I'll get mm-hmm. into why that is, the Sony FX6. Usually it's like some of the uh, really popular yeah, cameras, yeah. but a lot of that stuff comes with a lot of, it comes with a package. So when you get the Komodo, okay. you're not just getting the body, you're getting a bunch of stuff with it. And that's why it earns so much money for the equipment owner. Right. Um, but then something mm-hmm. like the Dana Dolly, the Dana Dolly is super popular. <laughs> it's, it's been one of our most popular items for like numerous years. And what I, what I tell everybody <laughs> all the time, the insight I give anyone trying to get into the rental business is that you need, you know, you should definitely have some of the main kind of products, like a nice camera, a nice lens, But definitely have like the Komodo, I mean, definitely have like a Dana Dolly or some lighting or some grip equipment 
because those things actually rent really frequently. So that what that's going to do is that it's going to get you more exposure, meaning you'll meet more people, mm-hmm. which is great for networking. But then you'll get a bunch of reviews mm-hmm. on your profile and then you'll rank higher because now you just have a lot more mm-hmm. reputation on, on the website and your reputation actually gets accounted in your search ranking for your listings. So don't be afraid to put up those uh, walkie talkies, which rent out really frequently. Don't be afraid to put up a ladder and like, you know, foldable, foldable chairs and stuff like that uh, alongside some of your bigot, bigger ticket items. And I know that some of those things might not make you as much money, but it'll earn you more reputation, which will lead you to earn more money on the bigger items. So that's some yeah. insights like. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Sorry to interrupt. Um, yeah. I'm just looking through this report now, you know, like we have the Sony a seven S three, the average rentals are on $196 renting at just $40 a day. Uh, the red Komodo six K is all over the place um, in terms of popularity. Average rental is three sixty seven at ninety nine dollars a day, which is really cool. Um, and then you guys also do for sale too, right? So you can rent and um, you know you could rent out your gear so, or you can rent gear, and then you can also sell your gear and then buy gear. Yeah, yeah. So we try to kind of complete the circle where uh, you could come in if you don't have gear, you could buy equipment from from other members in the community. Mm-hmm. Uh, once you you buy that gear, you can rent it out so you can make a little bit of extra money and then sell it once you're done with it and buy new gear. Essentially, the buy sell portion of the website came, uh, I believe, in like 2018, uh, end of 2018. And the reason why is that, again, it was a feature that came from the community, which was community members were messaging each other like, hey, are you selling this camera? I don't want to, I'm not interested in renting it, but are you selling it? And we thought, hey, we should just turn on that feature. Uh, and then, of course, that ended up, it wasn't just turning on that feature. We had to figure out shipping and we had to figure out uh, how, how do we track shipping, right? Because we have to understand when the item is in, uh, uh, moving and we have to hold the money during the duration of that shipping. And Oof. then when do we release the money? Is the equipment in good shape, right? Uh, how do you buy yeah. a $70,000? camera uh you can't really do it through a credit card so we had to implement a whole system where you could connect your bank account and do like wire transfers uh then we had to figure out like shipping labels like we had to make it really easy for people to print out shipping labels yeah so what turned out like oh let's turn on that feature that people have been asking for turned into like again another six months of of development uh but we're glad we did it yeah because the the one huge advantage we had is that we already did the verifications. Like we have a very in-depth verification mm-hmm. system in, in ShareGrid. So the verification system we use for rentals to verify people when they're doing rentals, we also use for buy and sell. So it became a really safe place mm-hmm. to transact pretty high ticket items. I was, go for it. No, no, I was just going to say, I, I, I think what you guys have done, like with all of that in mind, always putting the customer first has really paid off dividends, you know, from a branding perspective, you know, because I think, like for, even for for myself, you know, when I think of ShareGrid, like I, I trust and I value selling or renting gear vastly more than like putting something on like a a Facebook marketplace or offer up or something like yeah. that. Like um, I don't know. I just again, like it feels more like the the Vogue or like the the GQ mm-hmm. of like selling and renting gear, if that makes sense. Um, and, mm-hmm. and again, I think that's just always because you guys have kind of 
put it at, at a prestigious place within the community um, and really valuing again, like what, what the customers kind of want and need. Yep. And, and yeah. you picked up right on that theme. I was like, for us, it's always been customer first. And even that translated to actually marketing. So like most of our marketing we've ever done has always been uh, marketing that's content to help the community. So you might, you might have heard of the mm-hmm. lens test we did, you know, in combination with Old Fast mm-hmm. Glass. And, you know, we, we partnered with Old Fast Glass to essentially make the largest ever cinema lens test there's ever been, where, you know, Old Fast Glass did the production of, like, testing a bunch of vintage cinema lenses, anamorphic lenses, uh, some, some, of the, some of the newer lenses. And then we did the kind of the, the website where you could load up four different lenses and play them all at once. And then you could like, you know, compare cool. each one against each other. And it was all very controlled settings. So like each one is exactly the same and you could control that. Again, we did that. We gave that away completely for free. And that was, you know, we did it over the course of three years and each production took like weeks <laughs> and the post-production took like months. Damn. And we spent thousands of Damn. dollars on that. And again, it was like, will, you know, will the community value this? Is this something of value? Will they get value out of this? If, if the answer was yes, let's do it. Like, and, and we didn't want to charge for mm-hmm. it or anything. So um, that's always been our approach. It's like the community is going to tell us what to build. And our goal is to keep the community safe and build the right tools for them to so they get value out of our tools. And then when it came to marketing, it was the same mm-hmm. exact approach. So I don't think you could go wrong for just serving the community. And as long as they're getting value, but you'll get value in return in, in the long run. Mm-hmm. Do you think that there was like a walk us through like maybe your best customer or that sense of like not a production company, but like someone that used you that just had a lot of success, just renting out a lot of gear, you know, in the sense of making money, you know, you don't need to give any names or anything, but what, you know, how many cameras do they own or what, what it was like their situation like? Yeah. I mean, we have, you know, from the equipment owner side, uh, we have dozens of, of these type of examples where it's a, usually a camera operator who starts off as like, they've been in the industry for, for a few years. And like, it's a, it's essentially the same exact profile and I can name names, but it's, it's almost the same. It's like a camera operator that's been in the industry for a few years. They've accumulated a good amount of gear. It's sitting in their garage or sometimes in a storage unit. And uh, they started off mm-hmm. with us early on, like 2015, 2016. And now those same exact people have warehouses with like three, four employees. <laughs> and they're running a legitimate kind of rental house. Uh, and they're mm-hmm. still doing business on ShareGrid, but certainly not their entire business. It's like, you know, a fraction yeah. of their business. They've graduated and they have big time clients like movies, TV, but they're still using ShareGrid. But mm-hmm. they started off on ShareGrid. Like I mentioned, when when those people started, they didn't have an accounting team. They weren't able to process credit cards. They weren't able to sit there and verify each insurance policy that was coming through. Right. They weren't they weren't doing that because they didn't have that overhead. They didn't have the resources. So they started off on ShareGrid, used our platform for all those resources. And eventually, as they got bigger and bigger, they were able to hire out those people if they wanted to. And in some cases, they'll still use us like 
from a good a good amount of their business. But yeah, that's kind of this the success story. Um, you know, and on, on the rental side, it's usually what's ha- what happens is on the renter side, we have young people that are in college that usually are introduced to us when they're doing their capstone projects. So when you're doing your capstone that's projects, what we were, that's what I was. When I was doing my thesis, that's how we met ShareGrid. We're like, oh, they got super cheap gear. Let's try them out. We're on a budget, you know? (laughs) You nailed it. I mean, that's all it is. It's like your goal as a student is like you want Hollywood production value, but you don't have a Hollywood production budget, (laughs) right? So you're trying to champagne on a beer beer budget. budget. (laughs) Exactly. So you're going to. You don't care if you have to pick up from five different places and you have to go into someone's basement garage and Starbucks to get it. You're going to do whatever it takes to get that high end equipment for the lowest price. So mm-hmm. that's where ShareGrid becomes a really good resource in that sense. Um, so, yeah we, yeah, we start off with that and then people continue to use us. They graduate college and then they see, oh, I have some gigs. But again, I'm trying to get as much of this budget of this gig, like I'm trying to prove myself that I could do a really good job. The budget is not high mm-hmm. end cause I'm not at that level yet, but like they have a good budget. So how can I stretch this budget as much as possible? And they still use us. Yeah. And then once they graduate to like the TV shows, the Nike commercials, they're probably not using us anymore because the, the, the whole calculation changes. You're not about budget doesn't matter as much at that level. What matters is convenience and reliability. So mm-hmm. you're going to want to yeah. make sure that like everything is crossed. Everything is perfectly. Uh, right. Shattered. And if your camera dies in the day, you could just go grab another one kind of thing. Exactly. You want the reliability. You want to make sure yeah. everything is checked and budget doesn't matter to you anymore. However, those people still use us, but not as much. What they do use us is for the hard to find items, the vintage lenses. The really old school film cameras, the pirate ship that we have on ShareGrid, the cop car, the fake money, <laughs> right? Like the random yeah. things that like you would typically the phantom camera that's really hard to find, right? Like those unique items yeah. that not everybody carries anymore, you would typically come to ShareGrid for. So we've kind of became a marketplace where we serve all of these kind of different cohorts of people, but just in different ways sometimes. Mm-hmm. What's up, guys? Wanted to stop you really quick and talk about our special sponsor today, ShareGrid. They are the largest camera and sharing community out there. You can rent and buy professional cinema gear. I absolutely love using this platform. It's perfect for trying out any new cameras that you might want to use. Um, and if you're interested in upgrading to new cameras, maybe you want to test out a 6K, an 8K, maybe a 12K. Um, it's all out there and available for you to rent and buy or maybe if you're interested in selling and renting out your own gear to make a little side money, then this is available on ShareGrid as well. It's the most professional way of renting, selling, and trading gear. It's safe and secure, professionally insurance-backed. Guys, it doesn't get better than this. Join the camera sharing community today. You can rent and buy professional videography gear in your community. Let's get into more of like what we might be seeing in terms of trends and uh, where the industry is going, the the future, right? Like, you know, on this show, we talk a lot about that all-in-one creator, that that solo business owner. They're normally like a camera operator, a DP, a director. They own their own camera and then they go out and shoot. uh, You know, that's pretty much Kyle shooting commercial clients, music video clients, 
high-end brands. He'll staff up when he needs to, right? And we've been pretty bullish on that type of creator. What type of creator do you think you're seeing on your side of things or team of creators or whatever type of, you know, thing that might be moving faster than the others <laughs> in the creator industry? So what I'm going to, what I'm about to say is probably going to sound like we scripted it and we got together ahead of time and I'm just agreeing with the type okay. of creator you guys are, are uh, talking about, but honestly, yeah. you know, it's, we obviously didn't do that. And, and uh, that is the creator that we saw growing the most, like over the last few years. So it's essentially that, you know, mm -hmm. that person that, that does it all. And the reason why that person mm -hmm. that does it all is becoming more prominent is in my mind for a few things. One is obviously equipment is becoming more compact and you could just do more with less. Right. Uh, I mean, I think we yeah. have the Canon. Is it the Canon or Sony camera that came out that actually has a gimbal on top of it now? It's like part of the camera. What camera is that? Have you guys seen Canon? The camera, oh, wow. right? So, like, the gimbal's built into Jeez. the camera, which I was like, wow, that's that's crazy. I mean, I don't wow. know how well that camera's going to do, but, like, obviously, yeah. it's a signal for the direction of technology, right? Like, everything is becoming more, mm -hmm. more compact. You could do more with less. The LED lights are smaller. You could travel with them. You Again, the, the whole point is you don't need as much equipment as you needed when I was in film school, we were putting like, there was a camera and then we were attaching adapters to get one of those, like a, a nice lens on top of it. You don't obviously don't need that mm -hmm. as more anymore. So now everything is becoming more compact and it's enabling a creator to do more with less. So that's on the technological side. Yeah. We're seeing that trend on the, you know, on the kind of the, the content side of things. What we're seeing is that obviously attention is transitioning right now. And what I mean by that is that eyeballs, where are the eyeballs? The eyeballs are less yeah. on the cable TV shows and cable programming, less on the theater mm -hmm. releases and much more on phones, obviously, and like small screens. Like that's where everybody's attention's at. And that's really hard to deny. I mean, we're seeing the numbers as like, that's where people are spending most of their time is on this new media versus like traditional media. Um, and with that comes like a whole new trend of content that's being created, which is, you know, when you're watching social media content, when you're watching TikTok, you're watching YouTube, you're watching, um, you know, all the streaming shows, the type of content that's being produced there is not like the really highly produced type of content. Actually, the highly produced type content tends to actually do worse on these platforms because the highly produced content doesn't feel as native. It's fake. It, it just, yeah. you could just see like, oh, wow, they tried really hard. Like, what are they trying to sell me almost, right? And now we're starting to mm -hmm. see advertisers, especially on TikTok, that they're trying to trick you that like, oh, this is just regular content. But it's actually an advertisement, mm -hmm. but like it looks, yeah. you know, more homemade or like, you know, uh, but it's trying to trick you. Just so, shot on their phone. Exactly. Just shot on their phone. So it's just more native. It fits in. Yeah. So with, if that's the type of content yeah. that's being created, obviously, uh, you know, you don't need the huge crews. You don't need the, the big production. And uh, what's happening mm -hmm. 
And the reason these production companies aren't relying on the big, you know, $100,000, million-dollar commercial anymore is that in the social media world and, like, where the attention is now, it doesn't matter if your content is really, if one piece of content is really good. What matters is the volume of content. You constantly need mm-hmm. to be at the top of the, uh, uh, the stream. You constantly need to be top mm-hmm. of mind. So what I think the trend we're seeing with content is that like it's it's more about volume and just constantly pushing out because that's what the social media right. platforms are also valuing. It, they're not social media platforms yeah. want you to constantly put content out and the algorithm actually rewards that type of behavior. So you want to constantly put up content. And if you're constantly putting out content, you just can't afford to spend a million dollars on a on a commercial. You'd rather spend a million dollars across, you know, the entire year and produce a lot more content. And if you're producing a lot more content, that's going to be cheaper budget, which means smaller crew, which means maybe you're not getting that huge pack of lenses. You're getting something smaller because it's all about volume. That's the trend that I'm I've been kind of seeing. So from a tech uh, side, the trend is pointing towards more consolidation. From a content side, it's more about volume of content rather than just like bigger productions. And those those are the trends I've been seeing. Right. So so with all that in mind, how, like how do you think creators should position themselves? You know, like say for instance, like. You know, what if you're a creator that's interested in doing, you know, feature films or, you know, high end music videos? Or what if you're a creator right now that, you know, you're you're uncertain what you want to do, you know, but you're you're interested in, you know, maybe music videos, commercials, events. And I guess more specifically with social media too, you know, because again, I think a big thing we we often harp on here is the importance of of building that brand and, and having a, a persona mm-hmm. in the community um, in order to, to leverage that down the road. Yeah, no, career. I totally get the question. And it's, it's one that like I've had other people kind of ask me, I don't think there's like a need to like be like freak out that like, Oh, everything is about social media. There's obviously still room for like the narrative content. We obviously have a mm-hmm. lot more narrative sort of distribution channels now with Apple TV and Netflix and Hulu and Amazon. And I'm sure that's just going to continue. Right. So I I think there's still going to always be room for that, for, for that type of content. I think what's happening is typically in cycles of innovation, what I, based on what I've studied, the middle always gets consolidated. And, you know, in in this case, I imagine the high end narratives, like, that's going to continue. So like the big TV shows, the big movies, there was always going to yeah. be a craving for that type of content. And then like right. the other spectrum is the like, you know, large volume of, uh, of social media content that we're seeing on TikTok and all these like social media platforms will also continue to grow in that kind of middle run of the mill, the reality TV shows, the, uh, the corporate type mm-hmm. videos, the, 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 the like, just the middle budget stuff is probably going to get a lot, a lot more consolidated. So I would admit my, you know, and again, I'm not in the industry as like a content creator. I'm just kind of on the outside looking in. So don't take my, my advice. But like, mm-hmm. if I were in a creator, on sh- a young creator shoes right now, I wouldn't try to make my living. Like I would pick a side. 
Like I would either go all in on social media content, either work with creators that are doing well or build my own kind of brand, or I would go all in on high end narrative and just go down that path. I wouldn't try to uh, do like because they're two very different paths. Yeah, the very, very different paths. And I would just try to stay away from from middle. And I guess like, how do you define middle then? You know, middle in my mind, at least is like more of the reality TV shows, the commercial, like the brand commercial stuff, um, you know, that type of content. What about like indie films? I would say indie films are middle, you know, like, yeah. you know, $500,000 or a million dollar films like. Yeah. Unfortunately, I think those are going to be squeezed out. I mean, typically, that's like really good artistic content. But unfortunately, that that market yeah. was already smaller. I don't necessarily see that market growing over the next few years where I see like the large narratives, the TV shows continuing to grow and then like the social media mm-hmm. to continue to grow. But again, I, I could just have a different experience than others. Some might say that like maybe the indie market has more reach now because it's a more global audience. I'm I'm not sure. I'm I'm just not educated. More stuff. accessible to yeah. you know easier to sure. easier to create content, cheaper arguably now with resources like ShareGrid. Yeah. Um, so yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I think it goes, it goes both, both ways. ways. Yeah. Yeah. And I think the key thing is just like we always preach in the terms of like find your niche and like really go all in on that and like very be very specific about what you're going after. You know, in our last episode we talked about you know, your customer personas and just knowing exactly who that target customer is. So you know how to sell to them, you know how to reach them, right? And talk to them. And you need to do that with your career path too. Like it's hard to, you know, uh, just do social media videos and and like really build up that, uh, that audience and, and do well there, but also direct feature films, right? Like they're just totally different worlds. Right. Um, and, and that's hard. And like, you know, I, I played in a little bit of both in the sense that, I was doing a lot of indie film producing and then and that was one network for me. And then I had a completely different network of folks where I was doing a lot of indie music video producing. Right. And those two networks normally didn't like talk to each other. Like they just were different breeds. Right. Um, and because even though we're still like indie filmmaking together, it's just different industries and different, like you, you were growing up on different things and different shows and whatnot. And so even in that little indie world, it, it's different, right? And you just need to really focus in on your niche, whatever that may be. Yeah, you, you need to. And, and when people say you need to build your brand, I think a lot of people think like, oh, I need to get out there and make a TikTok account for myself and just build a brand for myself. And I don't think I don't take it as that. I think building a brand, even within your circle of like coworkers or colleagues that's still worth something. You need to be known as the person that works on a type of content. So then when when somebody thinks like, oh, I need help creating that type of content, they think of you, right? So like, I, I think yeah. the more you're within a niche, you your name and your, like, your brand compounds. It, it's just like finances. It's like, if you make an investment and mm-hmm. just keeps growing month over month and it keeps compounding, it's the same thing with your career. Is when you start off, you're nobody knows you, but like if you stick to one area for long enough and you have enough interactions and you have enough experience, but you don't move because every time you move careers or you move into a new area, you're essentially starting from zero all over again. Your reputation, your experience, your connections, 
So you definitely want to try to stick to one area. I mean, within that area, maybe you could zigzag, right? You could switch from, mm -hmm. from different positions, but you want to stick to one area because of the networking and connections you make. That's how you, you compound yeah. your experience and you, you get much farther that way. Yeah. One quick offbeat example is I always tell everyone that wherever you go to college, that's that should be where you want to live afterwards because during that four years of college, you're building up relationships and community there and everything that you spent that four years building is there. And so if you just move back home afterwards, you just lost four years of, you know, relationship building and connections and all that kind of stuff because you're not taking advantage of that. Right. And so it, wherever you spend your time, that needs to be where you want to be in the future. Right. Because all of your time, you're building those relationships, you're building that experience you're building that chemistry that will lead you into future things in that vertical. I'll also say though, is that like, you know, we just kind of talked about how important it is to kind of stay within one lane. But I think when people are first sure. starting off, that kind of like advice tends to like really put a lot of pressure on someone really young. Like, Oh no, like if I choose this lane, I'll never be able to leave that lane ever again. Right. And then that adds a mm -hmm. lot of like, a doubt like i don't know which lane should i which lane should i choose i'm not even sure yet i haven't even worked in most lanes so i would say in the beginning in the early years try as many things like it's okay to try different like try narrative try tv try social media try it all so you could get a taste and the way i've looked at it from a career standpoint is i've always looked at my boss and try to imagine like okay if i was in her shoes would I want like the, the is that appealing to me? Would can I see myself doing her job for you know 10, yeah. 20 years? And if the answer is like no, like that looks right. miserable, that's it. Like just get out now. Because you know, the, the person <laughs> that's like leading you or is your manager is essentially where you're headed. So that see that as like a, a peek into your future. Like if you if you don't admire their mm -hmm. job. Definitely don't stay in that in, in that category. I love that. Selling it. Right. Yeah, I mean, I'm going to sound like the most, you know, everybody has the same advice, but it's, you know, the reason, uh, and, you know, the same for, advice for our listeners, you, you I guess, just same advice is from overall experience, you know, like it's what's having an idea, it, bringing it to life, it sounds uh, creating cheesy, running it, but having all these problems you ran so into, like because it's selling works, it. What are what yeah. are some, the some of the biggest like pieces of advice you have for our listeners who are looking to, to start their own business? Um, like, you, be, need, you know, be a freelancer, build a video production company. Our listeners that are a couple years in, like, what are some of the biggest insights you had from building a business? Those two things you're gonna be stuck with for six seven years um there's like a saying uh jeff bezos has this saying is like when you're making a decision is it a revolving door decision uh and what he means by that is that like can you easily uh change that decision so like 
if it's a decision that you could easily go back on right away, uh, then it's fine to make that decision very quickly. If it's a decision that you cannot go back on very quickly, you should take all the time you need to make that decision. So some of those decisions are, which idea am I going to work on? So try to test the idea. Yeah. Try to like really talk to other people. Like just get out there and get as much knowledge about that idea as you can. And then the second one is like, who are you going to work with? You need to like really trust that person. And what, what I'll say about, how, well, it's hard to trust someone when you maybe just met them, right? So how could you make that decision? The way I typically make that decision is that however that person treats other people in just like regular day-to-day kind of occasions is exactly how that person's going to treat you, you know, 10 years from now when you're making the biggest decision of your life. So if that person treats the waiter really badly or complains about like just small stuff, that person's going to also do the same exact thing to you in the future. So those small micro interactions will translate to big macro uh, interactions down the line. So pay attention to the small details when you're choosing who you're going to work with. And then as far as the idea, do as much research and don't just jump in right away. Uh, really be be critical about the idea you choose. Oh, 100%, man. Thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, valuable nuggets every step of the way. Uh, I'm glad you said what you did about the industry trends <laughs> because it, it does go right into the show. But I mean, that's 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 the reason why we made this show is because we saw the same trends. We think the same thing is happening. Um, you know, brands need more content and they have the same amount of money. So they just spend less on each of that to get, you know, more content. Right. And so I, I do think that the, the future is really bright for our creators out there. Uh, the future is unlimited. So. Marius, thank you so much for joining us today. You guys can, of course, learn more at sharegrid.com. You can rent out your gear. You can rent gear. You can sell your gear. You can buy gear. Go check it out if you haven't already. Um, Sharegrid.com. But otherwise, that's the end of this episode. You can follow me at JJ Englert or Kyle at Cal Visuals. We'll be uh, back next week with another episode. But until then, Marius, thank you for taking your time out of your day to drop some knowledge for our audience. We really appreciate it. Thank you, Kyle. Thank you, JJ. Um, Appreciate everything you guys are doing for the community. And obviously, this kind of advice could go a long way for everyone. So thank you for, for doing what you guys do. Much appreciated. Thank you. All right, guys, we will catch you on the next week of Learn Videography. See ya.